If you're a fan of this show and you'd like a chance to steer the ship, that opportunity is available to you. We're already planning our season two of Grimdark History. And if you'd like to have a say in what we tackle on season two, you can do that by heading over to our channel on youtube.com at grimdarkhistory slash community. You'll find a post there with an active poll asking what your thoughts are and what the second season of Grimdark History should be. So head on over and have a vote. Thank you very much and enjoy the show. If you enjoy this podcast, please check out friend of our show, Wrath's Reach Tabletop Gaming. They pit two local Warhammer 40,000 players against each other in a 2000 point 10th edition battle. They also do special live tournament events and a lot of charity work for the Extra Life Children's Miracle Network. So please check out their content on Twitch and YouTube. You can find them at HTTPS. Uh, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E, so it's linktree slash TTG, and I'll also link to that in the uh, episode description. Please check them out. Uh, They're a great friend of the show. imagine for today's episode that we are inhabiting the life and time of a Minoan trader. We are living approximately 1600 before Common Era. We have a two-story house that's made of stone and beautifully painted frescoes, reds, blues, gold paint adorns our walls. We have what you might call uh, an open concept design. If you can think of, you know, traditional Japanese design where uh, you have uh, walls and windows and doors that you can move and allow the outside space in. That's kind of our design, only instead of the wooden uh, design of what you might typically think of ancient Japanese housing, this is stone. And are stone supported by a smooth round pillars painted in a vibrant red top to bottom. And the, the spaces between the tops of our pillars and our roof would be adorned with uh, blue swirling designs, maybe like a, a whirlpool if you can picture that. And as we go downstairs in our morning and we're sitting at our our breakfast table, the walls in our villa are adorned with more frescoes. We have uh, beautiful paintings of sea life, 
of dolphins jumping out of the ocean, of octopus, and of trading ships, much like what our family does. As we sit down to, to breakfast, our daughter is with us and our wife we as the male captain of the trading vessel it's a nice Mediterranean weather and we're wearing a blue dyed linen loincloth you might think of it as a cross between a kilt and a loincloth you know it dangles down a bit it's wrapped around our waist we've got a leather belt um, very nice metalwork design from our neighbor who's a uh, accomplished goldsmith in the in the city and for breakfast uh, we dine on some olives we have some goat cheese some wheat bread and uh, maybe some uh, nuts almonds or pistachios and we drink some uh, tea herbal tea from the local variety uh, maybe we have some barley beer or even honey mead if we're feeling special and it is a special day it has to be a special day every day is a special day right now because our wife and our daughter both have very important duties today far more important duties than I will ever have they are priestesses for our goddess and she's been very very angry with us these last few months we don't know why she's angry with us but our village our settlement on the island of Thera we have a settlement there called Akratini and a few months ago the mountain in the village started spewing smoke and the uh, there was rumblings and an earthquake several of the homes were damaged there we had a uh, warehouse there and that was destroyed in a fire the job of our wife and daughter like every priestess in the entire civilization has their job has been for the last several months is to appease our angry God to figure out what's wrong and what we need to do to make it right so that we can go back to the island because nobody has been able to be there since our God got angry smoke is always seen off in the distance smoke from the volcano from the angry God well we finish up our breakfast we hug and kiss our wife and daughter goodbye they're going off into the mountains today taking uh, half of what we have for uh, offerings and we're offering um, whatever wares we have available more is always needed it's never enough we have animals we're sacrificing we have 
our pottery filled with our grains, wheat, honey, mead, linens we've gotten from e Egyptian traders. Anything we can think of that's of value to us is of value to our gods, and maybe that will make them happy today. So you kiss your wife and daughter goodbye, and you watch them leave towards the temple center. They're wearing their best garments today. Beautifully layered, uh, multicolored dresses, dyed gold from saffron, dyed red, dyed blue, intricately woven from our other neighbor who runs a local textile center. The breasts are open in honor of our mother goddess who is the giver of all life. And from um, a mother's breasts come life, much like how from our goddess mother, her breasts gave life to us. So as they head out into the temple center, the priestesses from our other neighbors, their daughters, their wives, uh, they head to the temple center where the priest king and priest queen of our local, uh, of our civilization will meet with them and lead a procession up into the mountains to pray to the gods again. We go to the horns of consecration up in the mountains, the sacred place where the sun and the goddess of the sun rises into the sky between the peaks of our tallest mountains. That's where they're going today to try uh, to appease the goddess like they have gone every day for the last two months. Us, our, our humble Minoan trader, we head down to the docks. We have to make an important run today. We have a load of goods due on the mainlands. We're going to Athens to sell some of our goods and complete a contract we've had. So as we head down into the city center, we go to the palace complex. Walking down through the city, we have um, stone walls and buildings everywhere. Cool and warm, moist Mediterranean air blows through our hair which is long, dark, and curly. We meet up with our crew, say hello. We're about to leave for a multi-day trip. Everybody's kissing their sons, their wives, their daughters goodbye, and everybody who can, who is available, is heading out into the mountains to go pray with the priest and priestesses. But as our crew gathers, we head into the administrative complex in the city of Gnosis, where our priest, king, and queen live, but also where the center of our entire administration is. Our warehouses are there, as are the warehouses of several other of our neighbors. 
And as we make our way through the maze-like complex, building A, building B, building C, turn left here, turn right there, left again, two more lefts, one more right, and we're still only halfway through the complex and where our goods are. It's huge. It's taking us forever to get through because there's lots of crowds of people there and they're all doing the same thing. People bringing in goods. People taking goods out. The priest king and the priestesses are gathering. This is the center of everything for us. And as we wind our way through the maze and through the throngs, the 100,000 strong population in this city, shoulder to shoulder at times, working our way through, we finally make it to our warehouse. You pull out your tablet, written in Linear A, that's the script and language of our people. We have our checklist of items for our trip today. On order, 10 tons of copper in the shape of uh, 340 ingots of uh, large uh, oxide shape. Looks uh, like a stretched out animal hide, if you can imagine it. We have, a, in addition to our 10 tons of copper, one ton of tin, 150 jars of terebinth resin from the Levant, nine large pithoid jars full of various cypress pottery, and inside the pottery we have um, various um, olive oil and pomegranates. We have 350 kilogram glass discs of dark blue, turquoise, purple, and yellow. 70,000 glass beads. 24 ebony logs. Ivory from one elephant and 14 hippos, as well as various manufactured ivory goods made from the same material. Local Minoan jewelry made from gold, silver, bronze, and glass. We have a various amounts of amber. We have some swords from the Italian mainland ostrich eggshell vases and various cylinder seals that we're going to use to mark our orders as we complete them. And along with all of this we have more jars filled with spices. Cumin, sumac, coriander, sage, saffron, as well as olives, almonds, grapes, figs, and murex shells and orpiment, which is a yellow dye. All in all, it's going to make us rich. We're already rich, but it's going to make us even more rich. We're far wealthier than really um, most of our other neighbors. But this is a typical trip for us. We deal with the elite of the elite.
the kings of Athens, the kings of Egypt, the kings of Cyprus, the kings in the Levant, the kings of Babylon, the kings of the Hittites. They all trade almost exclusively with us for these goods. So as we gather all our many, many carts together, we're going to need several carts just for the copper. And then we start making our way out of the administrative complex of Nosos. Most of the crowds has thinned out a bit. They've our daughter and our wife, as well as the rest of the religious class, have begun their procession already up into the mountains. So the village area has cleared out a bit. When I say village, I mean city. Our central palace administrative complex, which is really the center of our administration, the center warehouse of all our goods. It's where the king and queen lives, and it's where most of the temple elite live. It's a multi-purpose facility. And as we start making our way out, we've got horses and oxen taking our, car our carts with us with all our goods, and we make our way down through the streets, down to the docks. And on the docks, we have our boat. Been in our family for several generations. It's one of the largest boats in the entire Aegean Sea today. It needs to be to hold all the goods that we're going to load into it and not sink. Our boat has two decks. We have a main deck and we have our below waterline deck where we keep all our goods. It's about 61 meters long from stem to tip to stern. We need 24 stone anchors in order to properly keep the ship from floating away when it's fully loaded down with goods. We have a central sailing mast that goes from the bottom of the below water deck in the center up through our main deck and we have a giant sail that covers almost the entire breadth of the ship. And our below deck where we're keeping all our storage, we have a central area for ballast which we use uh, just loose gravel for as we try to load our ship up and keep everything level takes us a couple hours just to load all this good all these goods together and it's about noon by the time we're finally ready to set sail which is good because the tides just going out now and as the ship leaves the harbor you turn and take one last look back at your port, at your home, and you can see just in the distance the sacred mountain, and you can make out the line of the population that's been following the priestess as they wind up the mountain. It's high noon, the sun goddess is as high as she's going to be in the sky, 
it's a good time to offer her uh, any sort of sacrifices. You hear a distant rumble. And you feel it right through your body. Everybody feels it right through their body. And you turn and look out towards the island of Thera with the distant smoke plume in the horizon. And the smoke is heavier and thicker than you've ever seen. It's a plume that reaches far, far into the sky. You can see lightning arcing everywhere. You notice the seabirds flying all at once. Every bird on the island flying in the opposite direction from the island of Thera. The feeling of immense doom that comes over you, it's indescribable. Something very, very bad has happened. And as you contemplate what this means, you notice something else very, very bad happening. Even though you're only a few hundred meters from your harbor and tides going out, the ocean is draining literally under your boat. It's draining as though the gods themselves have sucked the ocean dry. And in a matter of minutes, you're sitting on the ocean floor and there is no ocean anywhere around you. Your crew fall to their knees, praying. What is going on? What has happened? How have they angered the gods so much that they've taken the ocean away from them? And as you fall to your knees and pray to the goddess, what have we done? What can we do to let you give the ocean back to us? You hear a rumbling, growing, and you look again into the distance where the ocean drained away from you. And you see a wave coming back. And the wave extends from one edge of the horizon all the way to the other edge of the horizon. Never in your entire life have you seen a wave look like that. Never in your entire life have you seen the ocean drain out from under the very boats beneath you. And yet this is happening. And as the wave rushes closer, and as the roar gets louder, you realize that this is no ordinary wave. 
this is the wrath of a god coming at you in desperation several of your crew members leap over the boat and they land knee deep in the mud of the ocean floor unable to move fishes all around you flopping and gasping for air and still the wave rushes forwards it's getting bigger it's not a wave it looks like a wall a wall of water and the roar is getting louder it's becoming deafening thunder the thunder of an angry god coming towards you as the wave rushes closer and it looms larger and larger you realize it's an a mountain of water coming back at you it's not a wall anymore it is a mountain it is stories tall it could collapse the entire city if it hits it and it will hit it and all you can do is fall to your knees and pray except no words can leave your mouth all you can do as fear grips your heart as your limbs freeze up as you hear the flailing screams of your crewmen stuck in the mud of the ocean floor and the flopping of the ocean fish around you all of those sounds are drowned out by the roar of the angry god and the ocean mere seconds away the wall looms ever larger it is all encompassing and all you can do is close your eyes and hold your breath as it crashes over you what you just heard was a fictional retelling of the eruption of the Thera volcano in approximately 1600 BCE and the description of the tsunami that would have been approximately 26 to 30 meters tall and approximately 15 kilometers long it would have raced from the island of Thera at approximately 500 kilometers an hour pardon me 500 miles an hour so not quite the speed of sound but not too far off the tsunami happened when the caldera collapsed now the island was depopulated at that time because uh, the santorini volcano had a series of minor eruptions a couple of months earlier it was smoking there were some earthquakes that would have damaged several of the buildings from the Minoan civilization that lived on that island and they left it we know they left it because we don't find any remains um, from them on that island 
and we know the eruption was visible because we believe Egyptians record the eruption the plume and lightning visible in the sky it's also potentially recorded as a volcanic winter by the Shang dynasty in China at this time where they record yellow skies and frosts in the middle of summer now the tsunami would have sucked the water out of the bay and then rushed it back in again approximately 26 meters tall a wall of water rushing in at 500 miles per hour and it would have inundated many parts of the northern side and eastern side of the island where the palace of Gnosos was and several other uh, minor spots now how much damage it did there we don't know there hasn't been a, a real analysis of that Crete is mostly mountainous areas so it's debatable how much damage it would have caused to the actual civilization other than the people that would have 100% been in boats at that time in our description of our imaginary merchant you'll notice I was very explicit about the types of materials that was in his load and how much of it was there that's because I'm drawing on an actual shipwreck from that same region wasn't my known but you can imagine my known traders having roughly the same amount but the ship you can look it up if you'd like to I encourage you to I might massacre the name but if you want to look it up it's called the Uluburun shipwreck U-L-U-B-U-R-U-N now it's believed uh, this shipwreck the Uluburun shipwreck was not necessarily Minoan uh, but possibly from the Phoenicia Canaan area so the Levant and was discovered off the coast of a place called Kaz in Turkey so southeastern Anatolia Mediterranean side but from roughly the same time period so I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about what it might have been like to inhabit the life and space of someone at this time and you'll notice we described what we were wearing what we looked like what we ate for breakfast what our villa looked like the profession of our wife and daughter what they looked like because these are all things that we know are true and even though my retelling is fictional everything else I told you is true what was in the merchant ship 
is true. The description of the merchant ship is true. Its size, its load, how much it was carrying, um, anchors, what people were eating, how they looked, our goddess of the sun, our ritual ups in the, up in the mountains, our maze-like um, central administration slash palace slash temple zone, the height of our buildings, all of this is true. The tsunami from the Theron eruption is true. So this is a, a shorter episode. Um, I think our next episode, we're gonna dig a little deeper into the nitty gritty details of the Minoans. Our last episode, we talked about the Bronze Age in general and its connectedness. And I was debating uh, whether or not to tell the story of Theseus and the Minotaur. We'll touch on that in the next episode, but I felt the uh, mega tsunami from the Theron eruption and tying in um, what merchants looked like, how people lived, what they did for a living, what they looked like, I thought putting all of that in a little fictional context might help you inhabit that time and space so you can breathe that air and feel it a little bit because we're going to get into details in our next episode but I find when we start talking about this person did this or these people traded with this that it gets uh, a little dry but this story helps put some context to that that I think um, are might be appealing to everybody. It's appealing to me to put a, a time and place into a real event that I can kind of touch a little bit, get my hands around, and you can wonder and inhabit about the thoughts that the people would have had during what was undoubtedly an extraordinarily dramatic time. So this is a shorter episode than we than we have done, which is fine. Um, you know, I don't have any set length of time for any of my episodes. And maybe this is a more digestible timeline for you. If you like this episode, please let me know. Um, if you're subscribed on uh, Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app and you're getting this through here, um, I appreciate if you can... Uh, maybe like or provide some feedback to any of the episodes. It helps me immensely. If you'd like to provide any feedback, I can be reached by email at grimdarkhistory at gmail.com. And very much appreciate any feedback you can provide, uh, suggestions for future episodes. Uh, anything is helpful. It lets me know what, what people are interested in, and uh, hopefully that lines up with what I'm interested in. And uh, we'll keep going. Uh, but next episode, we're going to dig into the nitty-gritty details of the Minoan civilization uh, and how that relates back to the Warhammer 40,000 uh, fictional universe. So thanks very much for listening. Uh, appreciate your time. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Bye-bye.